Well, they have a military theme and their games. That counts, right? This is the Veteran Wargamer. This is the Veteran Wargamer. I am your host, Jay Arnold. In this episode, episode 34, I speak with Dave Tubbs and Nick Nethery about video games. The Veteran Wargamer is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the premier audiobook and audio entertainment app and service that you can try for free just by going to audibletrial.com tvwg. The book of this episode is Ready Player One by Ernest Klein. It's a sci-fi action thriller set in the not-too-distant future. Part coming-of-age story, part cyberpunk exploration of virtual reality, part comment on the nature of information, it's a ripping yarn full of pop culture references from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. It's soon to be a major motion picture and narrated by Will Wheaton. You can try Audible for free and receive a free audiobook that is yours to keep, even if you cancel your subscription to Audible. You literally have nothing to lose. Literally. Go to audibletrial.com tvwg. That's audibletrial.com tvwg. All right, and we are joined by the Cajun counselor, the Louisiana litigator, Dave Tubbs. Dave, how's it going? It's going good, bud. I was wondering how many of those you'd have. Um, <laughs> only two. I'm, I'm not impressed. <laughs> but no, everything's good. The, the Baton Rouge barrister. How about that? It, oh, even better. I like. I got that. a new one to add. <laughs> no, everything's good, man. I'm trying to record this episode with. With you, uh, before my kids wake up. All right. So. No worries. And new to the Veteran Wargamer is our mutual friend, Nick Nethery. Nick, how's it going? Well, fantastic. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Friend is a strong word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dave has answered this question a long time ago, because what, Dave, this is what, your fourth or fifth episode at this point? Well, it's, I believe it's my, my fourth, but it's my second since being declared um, co-counsel or um, temporary or part-time co-host, which I'm going to continue to bring up. And I'm going to plug my, my, my podcast, The Former Soldier Fight Player. I'll be having a guest on. His name is Nick. Um, next Sounds episode, great. tune in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, I think the term that I've come up with is super super guest. Super guest. Okay. Yeah, because you and my brother have both done four or five episodes now, and uh, I think super guest is appropriate. You're not going to work emeritus in there? Well, that would imply that they're not that they're not coming around so often. I would think. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe once you get to double digits, maybe the emeritus gets added at that point. And then you're going to be Super Guest Emeritus. Super Guest David Tubbs Emeritus. No, yes. Yeah. David Tubbs Super Guest Emeritus. There you go. By the way, the more titles, the better. That's Esquire, right? Yeah. So, Nick, as we always do, whenever we have a new guest on the show, we want to find out a little bit more about them. So, in brief, what makes you a veteran wargamer? Uh, war games have always spoken to me a lot more than... Uh, any other type obviously conflict is what moves narrative really of any kind and I enjoy a game with a good narrative I can't 
I can't play a game that's fun to play, great gameplay, but has a terrible story. So I think war is just about the most interesting and ubiquitous uh, across all human cultures, um, uh, you know, motivation to move stories along. So I've always been into war games from the time I was, you know, first uh, first able to play anything. Started out playing, I guess you'd, um, I guess you'd call them pencil and paper uh, role-playing games with my friends in elementary school, middle school, and graduated to uh, video games pretty soon thereafter. Um, and then as I've grown up in the military, I realized as a person that had to train others periodically the utility of games to impart some, some basic skills, uh, some games, not all. Uh, and then, of course, just on the leisure side, I mean, every deployment I've been on, uh, inevitably there's a group of guys that gets together and either plays D&D or Shadowrun or we get to, you know, we, we steal the bridge off the KC VSAT and we, uh, we we use it as a LAN and hook up Xboxes and play Halo or and everything in between. So mm -hmm. Now, I want to touch on an article that you wrote about a particular video game, but I think it's since it's on your list, we'll talk about it when we talk about that game, if that's all right with you. Because sure. uh, uh, normally a top phase with Dave is just me and Dave, but I figured with uh, video games being the topic of this episode, you'd be a perfect additional guest and future super guest to, uh, to talk about this particular topic. Now, with that in mind, let's go ahead and... Oh, wait. Before we get started... Dave, I believe you have a Stump J segment you wanted to oh. you wanted to pitch. Yeah. You need to put in good intro music to this, dude. Like, out of the blue. Like, I don't know. You listen to Pantera. Just put that in there. Um, sort of some intro music. For everyone who, well, either hasn't listened to my past show with Jay or... You're, who is not privy to the conversations me and Jay have offline. My my introduction, my new segment that's going to cement my place as guest emeritus above Nick, more important than Nick, is this segment which I'm introducing, which is I name a conflict, and Jay, off the top of his head, tries to provide miniatures to play that conflict with. Last time it was what? The Mexican like revolutionary like conflicts with the EZLN that you got me? Yeah. Um, are you ready for that? Nice. Yeah. You ready? Yeah, hit me. Okay. <clears throat> the Maori Wars. Oh, Empress has a range for that. Oh, you gotta be kidding. No. Me. Empress Miniatures, check them out. Okay, that was just my, my <laughs> preemptory. <laughs> uh, that was just a quick preemptory warm-up question. They're 28 um, mil, they're beautiful, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. That that wasn't really it. Um, That'll be in the show this? notes, by the way. The <laughs> I, I, okay, you ready? This is a note okay. to myself to go back in time, the nanoseconds it took for me to come up with the answer to that. <laughs> no, okay. but seriously, Empress Miniatures does have a very nice range to cover that. They're twenty eight mil. Empress Miniatures does some really cool stuff. Um, Nick, they've actually got a a modern line, which includes. Uh, kind of generic Middle Eastern insurgents as well as uh, US SOF, US regular infantry 
U.S. Marine Infantry, and uh, they even have a Raven team. Nice. All right, Dave, let's try again. Oh, Jesus, I can't believe that happened so quickly. Okay, so... <laughs> But, you know, that's just warming up. That's me trying to lull you in to a false sense of confidence for my next one. <clears throat> Are you ready? Hit me. I'm going to I'm gonna stick with the Southern Hemisphere. Okay. I'm going to stick with um, Oceania. Okay. And I'm going to bring up the Emu War. Are you familiar with the Emu War? I am not at all familiar with the Emu War. The Emu War, you might want to pull up your Wikipedia, is a conflict initiated by the Australian government to control the emu population, which was getting out of hand, which Australia lost. I'm going to go off. I'm going to go... What time frame are we talking? Probably the 60s or 70s? Um, 1932. 1932. Well, I mean, you're gonna, probably going to be talking about... Now, for the emus themselves, I'm going to say probably Eureka Miniatures. It's a company based out of Australia, and they have some weird stuff, so they might have something along the lines of, you know, packs of roaming, roaming emus. And then for... Are they feral emus? Well, yeah, wild. Yeah. <laughs> okay. does, it, does it matter? <laughs> I mean, no, I don't know if they, they need to be rabid or not. I doubt they do. Um, do okay, did they I'll have different Eureka. hats? <laughs> uh... No, no particular like faction hats with the emu. Yeah. Now, what I, about 1932? Well, 1932 in general, there's a couple of different ranges. You could probably get away with just about any Spanish Civil War uh, range that we like we discussed earlier, uh, either in 15 or 28 mil. Uh, there's a kind of a what if historical. Uh, conflict called the Very British Civil War, and there are a couple of companies that are making figures for that. And they've got everything from cricket teams with Lewis machine guns to clergy to uh, just about any group you can think of that would take up arms in wearing civilian clothes. So those would probably be most appropriate. Well, I'm glad you brought up the Lewis gun because that's what they took to fight the emus with. Um, I need to do a quick search of these these minis that you brought up. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple different companies that make uh, very British Civil War figures, so they're they're out there. They're 28 mil. That's that would be that would be my vote. Oh. Okay, you Eureka makes 28 mil. Um, looking for emus. I'll give you that on the very British Civil War. A combination of half civilian clothes with Lewis guns. It's all hinges on the emus like I knew it would. <laughs> um I'll have to get back to, I'll have to get back to y'all whether or not Eureka makes emu models. So, but I will find out. Uh, oh, look at this. Emu set of four, Eureka Miniatures USA. Oh, damn it. <laughs> look at that. BAM! Seven oh, bucks gets baby seven bucks gets you four emus. <laughs> it's a great deal. <laughs> that is a great deal. Normally, you have to pay a lot more money for birds of this caliber. <laughs> yeah. I thought the emus would stump you. Um, well, to be fair, I it was a guess. It was yeah. a guess on my on my part, but lo and behold, there it is. 
Yeah, yeah Eureka, yeah. Eureka makes great stuff. Eureka was also uh, the distributor for Ground Zero game stuff in the Southern Hemisphere, or at least in Australia, and uh, I guess the Southeast Asia. And Ground Zero games is just great, great stuff. They Arguably, my favorite miniatures uh, war game rules are Stargrunt 2, which, which they produce, or produced back in the mists of time. But anyway... So how's that for the uh, for the first edition of Stump J? It was um, I'll, I'll, I'll get you, bud. That was that was that was actually when I was holding my back pocket for like a different show, like <laughs> later on. Like I was gonna let you win a couple, and then um, hit you with the emu war, and then just listen to the gnashing of teeth. Yeah, but um. I'll get you, don't worry. No, I mean, it's it. it's fun, I like it. It, it means I've got to become more well-versed in, in conflict in general, and not just, you know, my, my pet periods, so. No, I like it. Um, I've got a dictionary, or not a dictionary, or encyclopedia, I think it's called, like, the Encyclopedia of Conflict and Warfare, or something like that. Mm. And it just has little encyclopedia entries of, you know, battles and warfare and conflict and whatnot, and you know, emu war. I'm sure is in there, and it'll just probably say emu war attempt by the Australian government to eradicate emus, and that would be it, and give a time frame, which they lost. Yeah, well, there's um, still emus, so yeah. Anyhow, yeah, yeah. Back to the topic Sorry, at Nick. hand. I don't know. That's that's perfect. Back to the topic at hand, uh, we are talking about video games, specifically video games that have con- you know military conflict as their as their central as their central uh, focus. And looks like we've got some entries into fantasy and science fiction. That's cool. Um, I focused primarily on uh, real world conflict. But there's nothing, there's nothing saying we can't talk about fantasy and sci-fi because I love fantasy and sci-fi as well. So, Nick, since you are new to the show, I'd be pleased uh, for you to go ahead and lead us off with your number five. My number five, um, it's a 1997 game by Bungie. Um, they are the same cats that make the Halo series. Um, this this predates that. It's a not a real-time strategy. It's what they called back then was kind of a new term, real-time tactics. Uh, so not turn-based. Um, it was a fantasy game. Uh, you controlled uh, archers, dwarves that uh, were demolition experts, um, some magical zombie-type, uh, you know, ghost or enchanted-type units, um, and and you basically set the orders for them and then hit go. And you could control them in real time. You could countermand your orders as the situation developed and issue them new guidance. Uh, or you could just let it play out um, and, and not change your plan. But it was it was really interesting to see small units move over terrain, have to, have to account for terrain. Um, because at the normal setting, your units couldn't see over ridges. You know, you had no idea if mm-hmm. the enemy had one guy or a hundred guys on the other side of that ridge. Um, I particularly liked the 
the fact that undead units could move over water if they were floating units or if they were like zombies they could want you could hide them inside a body of water wait for uh, you know, an enemy unit to to uh, to move by, and then move your move your zombies out of the water and attack them, or or, or maybe blow them up if you'd uh, ha you know have them carrying some of the dwarves' satchel charges, and it and it meets and it meets uh, some one of my biggest requirements for a game, which is it's got a great story. Um, yeah. The first one, the Fallen Lords. I, I'm always a sucker for a suicide mission or a hopeless case or a lost cause, you know. And uh, just the way that the whole series plays out is um, humans, mankind, the good guys um, are they're, they're losing in a battle against evil, uh, losing badly. And so pretty much the whole first game is it's it's uh, everybody thinks they're going to die. Uh, and nobody expects to win. And, you, you know, you somehow um, manage to pull it out in the end. Uh, it's just I, I really like a good story that keeps you involved, and it's really, really as Bungie usually does. It's a they tell a really good story. It's poignant, it's dramatic, it pulls you in, and there's some unexpected humor as well. So, Myth, uh, the Fallen Lords would be my number five, and I I want to add here too that they made uh, several expansions for the game, mm -hmm. one of which was a, a modern version with uh, modern units. Uh, they called it Vietnam. Although I don't think it was very true to Vietnam, they just yeah. it was just modern units. But uh, that 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 version and also uh, introduced artillery and things like that 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 made it really fun to to, um, to play. Well, I see that it is on the wish list for GOG.com. Are you familiar with GOG? No. Yeah, GOG is good old games. Um, oh, okay. Basically, they update. Uh, the update classic computer games for use on modern equipment, and uh, so no way. way so like uh, X Wing and Tie Fighter, those are on there. Master over Ryan, they're on there. So wow. how do I not know this? Well, you didn't know that Empress had uh, Maori Wars figures either. So what can I You're say? You're right, I didn't. Uh, I'm <laughs> I'm slacking. Uh... I I don't know how you. Well, I can say that your well I'm not sure where your deficits and knowledge come from but there you go man I'm not even a computer game guy and I knew that in fairness so, I don't have a ton of I don't have a ton of time for gaming much anymore but uh, I, I would love to play some of those older games um, which so a couple of which we'll get into later sure for my number five um I'm talking Wolfenstein 3D. You know, the original started the entire FPS genre. Uh, yeah, there you can make arguments for other other games that didn't have nearly the cultural impact that Wolfenstein 3D did. But if you were s even slightly nerdy around the 91, 92 time frame, you played Wolfenstein 3D. Uh, it pretty much started the shareware model of of game distribution where you got a, a single three and a half inch floppy with everything you needed to play the game and you could play the first couple rounds or the first couple levels for free at no charge and then to open the game up you had to pay you know pay the publisher a little bit of money and they would send you a code to 
unlock the rest of the game. And, uh, you know, it, what more can I say than it started the FPS genre like none other. Uh, plus, you got to shoot Mecha Hitler in the face. So, you know, what what's not to like about that game? Um, it is... Yeah, it's it's dated this these days. The graphics are were EGA or V they, yeah they were VGA at least. Uh, you know, 256 color, uh, sprite based animations. Uh, really, it had decent music, decent sound effects, and, uh, and you know intriguing gameplay. Nothing nothing had ever uh, been created like that before. Of course, that's gone on to spawn, you know, Doom, and then later Quake, and then Doom came back, and, and its various iterations, and Wolfenstein's going through I don't know how many different iterations now, and uh, then you've got uh, Unreal Tournament, and, and everything else that's a, that's a first-person shooter, so yeah, definitely Wolfenstein 3D, my number five. Good pick. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's... Um... As I was going over this, our various lists, and y'all just now for your picks chose Myth, a 1997 game in Wolfenstein 3D, and I chose mine. I realized how old we are. <laughs> um, y'all more so than me. I'm gonna hold on a little bit to my youth, but um, this is an old school list. My 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 number five pick is something you already mentioned, Jay. Starcraft 2 most particularly Brood War where you got your little guys and you put them in the ground and they'll shoot their spikes up this is the I don't know if there's a better like if there's a, a peak RTS game real time strategy game that just kind of changed everything after it and if there was it's this game the amount of time I spent on Battle.net playing this game in high school was obnoxious um, I could probably blame this game for my poor grades and various other life effects <laughs> after high school, but um, I mean, who doesn't know StarCraft? Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's not the greatest. Yeah, not the greatest of stories, but um, humanity, Terrans fighting the aliens, three factions. Yeah, I don't. I don't need to go too in depth into that because I'll end up going over, running over time, and my kids will wake up eventually. But um. Yeah, good classic game. Um, three different factions, three different radical play styles. Way to go. Yeah, you, you um, can... I'm going to probably, now that I know of GOG.com, download this game. Yeah, I mean, you can. I can almost guarantee you, you can walk into your Walmart right now and buy StarCraft 2. I forgot you can buy computer games at Walmart. Yep. Yeah, most of, the time, most of the time they're crappy slot machine simulators, but yeah, you can... I bet you can buy StarCraft 2 at your local Walmart right now. Yeah. And for a long time, it was the best $20 in gaming. It was the best use of $20 for gaming for a very long time. That it's I mean, it's it's almost practiced as a religion in South Korea even to this day. You know, they've got competitive leagues that are you know, that have as much of a as much of an audience penetration in Korea as the NFL does here in the United States. And that's, in, that's insane. <laughs> yeah, it is it is insane. To the point where I mean there are professional teams that still play StarCraft two. And 
they they sell out stadiums for people to watch these teams of Korean nerds play in StarCraft 2 and to watch them to watch them play is insane because you know everything's you can do everything with a keyboard shortcut in the game and mm -hmm. they do everything with keyboard shortcuts and it's just rapid fire man on the keyboard it's 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 something else to say the least but I know what I'm doing on YouTube today oh yeah it's crazy it is crazy I'm Korean kids played StarCraft it's only a good evening uh, yeah I think their armed forces even have teams. Like, they get recruited into the armed forces. I mean, this isn't like every kid in the ROK, but... But, you know, they... Wait, so, like, the, the Rocks have, like, a dedicated, like, like the Army Band and the the Army StarCraft team. Yes. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I'd, I'd be curious to see their insignia. <laughs> yeah. It's a cloud of Vespian gas. <laughs> with okay. uh with uh cross Terran Space Marines. I don't know. <laughs> but number four, Dave. Oh, back to me. Oh, I found it. I found it. I found the insignia. It's not it's not what we wanted it to be. Oh, dang. That's okay. Hey, throw yeah. a URL in, in the show notes here and we'll We'll put them. Okay. We'll put them up for the I folks think to it. see. Hold on, let me see. Okay, in the show notes. Anyway, my number four. Yeah, it's weird that it bumps to me. You're throwing off the the multiple of five of two, Nick. Sorry. Um. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, my number four. This is a game I kind of picked up when I was studying for the bar. Hold up in a hotel in New Orleans. And uh, studying, 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 and playing War Thunder, World War II fighter plane game that is admittedly paid to win, <laughs> but it is a lot of fun. Uh, if you play on like the low-level servers, you can um, just buy your planes, go fly around, shoot down some zeros, and uh, have a lot of fun. There's not much explanation to it except that you can pick one of the factions, you know, one of the the big powers, and you just jump in a plane you fly the more you shoot down the more aircraft you unlock so it's a lot of fun to get in your mustang and fly around shoot down nazis shoot down uh, some zeros and you know do your thing matches last about five minutes doesn't get super complicated um it'd be cool if they had like there used to be an old old school world war ii airplane game that i played on aol and they had like 45 minute to an hour long scenarios where you'd have to go bomb this this airfield in the South Pacific. Now, this is all multiplayer by the way. Um, this doesn't have that. This is just pretty much a skirmish like a match based game but it is a ton of fun. I cannot stop playing it. Well I haven't played it lately but when I was studying for the bar I couldn't stop playing it. Cool. I highly suggest it. Cool. Oh it's free. Oh even better. Yeah. Well, except for the pay-to-win portion. Yeah, yeah. Just, pl just, just what you do is you you pay, play for about a month and then delete your account and make a new one and you keep playing on those low-level servers, so that all those guys who can pump all that money in there can't play. I dig it. All right, Nick, Nick number four. Are you are you a big flight simulator guy, or is that the one you? Is that the only one you've played? 
that's really the only one I played. And uh, to be to be fair, I I like the idea of being into it, a flight simulator. But anytime I do anything close to it, like I'll get on like the semi-real thing and I'll take off and just crash and burn. And I'll realize the amount of effort it takes to actually do that is just not worth. Not I'm not going to invest my time in it. You know. Right. No, that that's a that's an excellent point, uh, and I'm kind of kicking myself for not adding these games to the, to my list. And I mentioned them earlier, and that's the X-wing and Tie Fighter games from LucasArts in the back in the '90s, and they weren't so much flight simulators as just flight games. And Nick, I think you've got something similar on on your list, and we won't let the cat out of the bag just yet, but you were able to just sit down, grab a joystick, and start flying and either shoot up TIE Fighters or shoot up X-Wings. And that's that's a hell of a lot of fun. And I can understand how some folks would find the hardcore flight simulators to be fun, but that's just not my bag. And you know what? That's yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> uh, but for my number four, since it, this is a nice segue, we were just talking about Sometimes realism ruins it for you rather than adds to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, one of my very first computer games I ever got into was a game called Wolfpack. And um, early 90s, I want to say 90, um, uh, on, a, on a, the original MS-DOS uh, desktop computer, and it was a submarine game. A World War II submarine and uh, convoy combat. I really liked that it was extremely approachable uh, the learning curve wasn't extremely steep you could sit right down and and play it um, and I was I was just a kid back then uh, so I didn't I didn't know a whole lot about World War two I didn't know a whole lot about the technical or technological particulars of any one model of submarine or destroyer or cruiser I didn't really understand the difference between some of those different types of vessels but I could but I could just sit down and do a simple mission that was that was pretty quick also as i got older and i did learn some of those things i appreciated that as the the game you can choose to to play a mission from any year in the war uh throughout the course of the war uh, and in later years you have new submarine types we're reflecting the fact mm-hmm. that both you know both both sides were still developing their um you know their their models. Uh, I really liked that you could. Uh, I really liked that you could jump back and forth between the vessels in your convoy or in your wolf pack. You didn't. You weren't just shackled to one vessel. So if all the combat happened, you know, on the other side of the the, the battlefield, that or the engagement, that you were you weren't screwed. You could jump into that. You know the active area. Um, I just I really liked it. I also liked that you could speed up. You could speed up time, uh, so you know, so that you could sort of fast forward, because uh, you know, if you if you ordered some of your destroyers and your convoy to do a grid search, if you knew if you knew a submarine was out there, you could speed it up while they did their grid search over a couple hours. You didn't have to just sit there and wait for them to finish, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So it was great, and and I liked it was too. Also, it was the first game that I played that you could play. You could also play the enemy side. You could play German submarines or German convoys, uh, which I kind of liked. Right. Yeah. Um, with your interest in this particular topic, um, drawing your attention to a Kickstarter 
for a game that's out right now on Kickstarter called U-Boat, the board game. And uh, you might want to take a look at that, Nick, if, you, if your interest for Submarine still holds. It's only got 10 days to go, but they've already, they've already, uh, they've already funded. And it's a tabletop board game, but it uses an app. And it's a cooperative game for one to four players. Um, so you might want to take a look at that. Huh, okay. What's it called? It's called U-Boat. I just dropped the URL in the show notes. Okay. And I'm not sure 100% when this episode is going to publish, so it might have already passed by the time this gets out there. But uh, it looks pretty interesting. My... I, I'm I'm tempted, but my budget is currently no. Wow, it is way <laughs> over budget. Yeah, it's way over budget on Kickstarter. Like by six or eight or, times what they actually needed. So good, good for them. Yeah. Yeah. So it looks it looks super cool, and um, man, now now I want to go watch the movie Dust Boot. <laughs> but speaking of submarine board games I had the opportunity to play a game last week called um, Captain Sonar have y'all heard of this or played this game no it's new to me no oh man it is the, it is absolutely phenomenally awesome okay eight players right it's um, imagine battleship you got four okay. people on one side and four people on the other side right on each team you have a captain and the captain's job is to tell you where the boat is going. Oh, damn it. I'm not going to explain this well in the short amount of time that I have. Um, it's like battleship in real time, but your boats move, right? So your battleship, you, but you, your battleship is moving up the grid and to the right. And as it happens, your captain is announcing where it's moving. And your radio officer is listening to the other captain to try and track their submarine. And your arms officer is trying to keep his weapons up to date, and your engineer is maintaining damage. And it all happens real time in this huge flurry of activity where you're yelling at each other and trying to sink the other guy. It is phenomenally awesome. It is a good time. Hmm. Cool. Interesting. Yeah, it looks like it was uh, recommended by uh, the Kennerspiel des Yaris, recommended in 2017 won the Golden Geek for Most Innovative Board Game in 2016. This is according to BoardGameGeek.com. Interesting. It's a crazy awesome game. I've never played a game like it. Yeah. Well, well, that'll definitely be in the show notes. Um, I recently played one of my favorite games, uh, which is Red November, since we're talking about submarines. And in Red November, you are part of the crew of a gnomish submarine, and you have one hour to keep from dying basically <laughs> it's a cooperative game as time advances on the board you are beset by various calamities and you and your you and your shipmates have to solve the calamities uh, before before the ship either sinks to the bottom of the ocean or gets destroyed by internal gets destroyed by uh, internal heat or you run out of air now, other calamities that could occur are are as varied as a reactor meltdown, or you launch your missiles prematurely, or you get crushed by a kraken. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> it's 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 kind of tongue in cheek. It's very nerve wracking. Uh, when I had uh, or when my brother Chris had his Geek Weekend last month, uh, it actually got played twice. I played once, and then the second time that was played, uh, previous. Oh, Chris, of course. I think Chris played and. Chris Copeland, who has not been on the show, but Justin Palmer, who's been on the show, uh, played it, and they actually beat it. They actually won, so that was, I think, the eighth time that that set had been played, and the first time that it had been won. So it's it's at times nerve-wracking and hilarious, and really a great game. That's Red November from Fantasy Flight, but we're supposed to be talking about video games, so we should probably get back to that. Sorry, sorry. No, not your fault. Not your fault. I, I'm the one that got us off track with, with board games, so... But Captain Sonar, that sounds interesting. I'll take it's a look phenomenal. at that. I'll take a look at that. My number four is Close Combat. The Close Combat series in general, but in particular Bridge Too Far. Nice. Uh, it's... Uh, so, Nick, you're familiar with it, it sounds like. I, I love it. That would have been on my list, but I didn't want to steal your thunder. Fair enough. Fair enough. No, it's it's a platoon level command game where you move your squads and sections and special teams around. Uh, it's top down view, but it's got the fog of war going for it, wherein you don't see enemy units until they either shoot at you or you bump into them or or they unmask themselves and move in the open. But morale and motivation plays a huge part in the game. You know, it's one thing to tell your guys to go, you know, to go storm this house. But if there's not sufficient suppression on that house or a significant amount of smoke, there's a good chance they're not going to get out of cover to do it. So you need to make sure that you've got the prerequisites in place for them to move. Then, if they start taking casualties, they're certainly not going to move as quickly as you would like them to. And that is a that's a very realistic, uh, very realistic reflection of what actually happens. You know, once you start taking casualties, things really go down go downhill fast, and you are not going to be able to do what you want to do as quickly as you want it done. And it 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 really it really puts it really brings to light a lot of those challenges that small unit leaders face uh, on a daily basis when when they are you know in in a conflict area and it you know of course being bridged too far it's all about the artem campaign uh, and it's just visceral and you can hear the troops screaming for medics and the screams of the dying and it really it really puts you in that place um, the only tabletop games, at least the only miniature games I can think of that come close are either going to be Stargrunt 2, which is, as I mentioned before, from Ground Zero Games, or Chain of Command from Two Fat Lardies. I've, I've talked about Chain of Command in the past on this show, and I will continue to do so, because it is definitely my favorite World War II uh, miniatures game. So, that is Close Combat, a bridge too far. Great choice. Fantastic Thank choice. Thank you very much. <laughs> I don't well, know. Uh, I'm gonna have to look it up. Yeah, I I would bet that it's on GOG, but I don't know that for a fact. That was the first game I ever played where, yeah, you, if if you t if you tell your guys to take a building, 
and you don't give them cover fire, they'll they'll tell you right to your face, boss, screw you, I'm absolutely not moving. Yeah. It, it just never occurred to me that soldiers would countermand your orders if they were stupid, you know? So I'm as, as a leader, I'm yeah. glad that I learned that lesson before I actually led people. Yeah. <clears throat> absolutely. It, it's just a just a great game and highly highly recommend it Nick you're number three Ghost Recon the series uh, in general but the one that I liked in particular was the Advanced Warfighter uh, I think there's two of them one and two I I like the storylines they're great because it's the first few were at least advisory uh by Tom Clancy, so they were a little more real world and not fantastic. Um, near future, the ghosts were uh, supposed to be a recon unit that went in and and did, uh, you know, they're they're a soft unit. So I, I particularly like the Advanced Warfighter games because if any of y'all are familiar with the whatever the final name of the project was before it was killed, either Land Warrior or Future Combat System or, or whatever that was that was in development for like mm -hmm. a dozen or 20 years where, you know, right. everybody has the everybody has the real-time transponder, everybody has a little monocle so that, uh, you know, a, a CPU in the sky somewhere could paste everybody's icons over the battlefield and you could look across and see where your guys were. You could issue them orders on a little... Uh, keypad on your arm and they would see it in their monocles uh, they they had I think the advanced warfighters even had a little uh, drone that flew above the battlefield so you could look down and get get real-time recon data on where where the bad guys were on the other side of the building or on the other side of a wall I just I really liked it not because they were fun not just because they were fun but squad tactics were just a must you had to cover each other you had to be in, you know, you had to cover each other while you moved, and I just thought that it was. If there's any argument for why Land Warrior or Future Combat System should have been issued, it was that. And I think the the, yeah. the project eventually got killed. I know a huge problem with it was the the power sources were just way too heavy. You couldn't power that level of a computer at the time without carrying like 20 pounds of batteries. Um, but uh, one one can dream, you know. Right. <clears throat> well, with modern with modern battle, <clears throat> I'll edit that out. <laughs> with modern <laughs> with modern battery technology, you know, maybe something like that will will make a comeback. You know, you, it seems like every other week there's a there's an article on We Are the Mighty or some other or Task and Purpose or some other mill site <laughs> talking about. Uh, you know, similar systems. They're focusing more on basically power armor, though, rather than than the uh, than the C three aspect. Right. But you know, if you've got a if you've got a self powered frame on, you know, you can carry a lot more battery and a lot more CPU and com equipment. So stands to reason they would join the two together. That brings us to my number three, which is Axis and Allies CD. Of course, it's a computerized version of the classic board game. And I got this when I was in college. It had been out for a couple years already. And you were able to blaze through a single-player game in about an hour. And so it definitely made an, a fun and quick way to experiment with different gambits and different openings and that sort of thing. 
and it got it got to the point where it started getting in the way of writing assignments and schoolwork <laughs> and that sort of thing because I'd I'd wake up, ah, I'll play a couple rounds, and then oh crap, I'm late for class. Well, I've already missed it, so might as well have one more turn, and then became one more game, and then. One thing I didn't miss, I, I still went to work like I should, and you know, because you got to get that money. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> but I, as soon as I got off work, I'd come right back and I'd get one more, one more game and one more game. And next thing you know, it's it's four a.m. and you got a nine o'clock class. So, <laughs> but I'm not going to go too far into the gameplay. Everyone knows how it plays. It's Axis and Allies on a computer. It's got some fun little music snippets whenever a different country's turn comes up. So it's uh, it could be played multiplayer, but one of the interesting things you can do with it is you know just play a single player. But you know you take the role of you know you take Germany and Japan and let the and let the computer play the allies or vice versa. And it's really interesting what you can do when you have true unity of command like that, because you don't have to, you know, you don't have to negotiate with, you know, if you're the British player, you don't have to negotiate with the Soviets necessarily to get them to do something. So it it's really neat game. Uh, I think towards the end of its of its life, you could get it at Walmart for like ten bucks and or even five bucks, and it was still worth it then. So. Axis and Allies CD, my number three, brings us to another World War II entry, which is Dave's number three. Yep. But I want to point out again, oh, not again, but I'll tell on something you pointed out earlier. Your selection for a computer game was a board game that is played on computer. Yeah. Throw that out there. Um, well, my number three, keeping it with World War II because I was getting a little overboard on the sci-fi and stuff. Company of Heroes, and I realized that a huge portion of my games are all R RTS games, which this is. This is somewhat of a new spin. I mean, y'all know Company of Heroes, I assume. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> um, we we started playing this one. Uh, yeah, my second tour in Iraq. This game came out, and um, or it, it got big or something. I'm not sure, but everyone was playing this game. And for the for the listeners who don't happen to know Company Heroes, it's just a real-time strategy game, much like Star StarCraft, but it's set in World War II, and it was the first real, in my opinion, the first... Now, granted, I I was not around for close combat a bridge too far, but um, this was the first World War II game that wasn't first-person shooter that was a lot of fun for me. Um, and you just... The, the primary game is kind of mission-oriented. Uh, I believe you play in D-Day, and you have a set number of units, and you go try and accomplish some tasks. And if they all, if you can get through it with some guys, you win the mission. And that's, that is, that's a fun aspect to it. But then you have just open-play multiplayer where you get your barracks set up, and you get your armor depot set up, and you just go out, and then they combine stratagems on top of that, so you'll have the paratroop American paratroopers and the the Nazi um, V2 rockets. Um, and my, my only complaint with the game is they didn't keep expanding it to include other other factions and other, other sides in the war, which would have been a lot of fun. But yeah, good classic game. Um, 
interesting in that game, something that RTS hadn't done, and then they started doing after that game, was creating fields of fire where you lay down your machine gun, uh, and his field of fire is this 90 or 45 degree arc. And oh, he's neat. only going to fire in that arc. Uh, that's a lot of cool. Lot of, I thought that was a cool addition. Yeah, the the game's neat until you have to draw a sector sketch. I'm sorry. I said that that type of thing is cool in a game until you have to start drawing sector sketches. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Get no, your but that, cards out. Um, yeah, that that would be that that does sound like a neat neat addition to a game, and really makes you think about you know some of this. It makes you have to make some of the same decisions a real world leader would make, and that's that's always a an added bonus, and that's always appreciated. Realism light, you know. Well, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and I'm I'm a big fan of those little I call them nods to realism. Uh, they're not necessarily something that's going to break the bank, uh, game wise, but they will. Uh, how do I want to put this? They'll give you an idea of what the real people go through in the in those situations, and something like that is a nice little like I like like what I call a nod to realism to include in a game to let players know yes you are thinking about these things also as a developer but it's not you know it's still not the the full story yep. so yeah nice choice good game but that's so right great game I interrupted you, Jay, and I think you're about to give me a segue. I, I'm going to throw it back to you. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Next, my number two now. We're at number two. Um, I realized, again, I've picked a ton of real-time strategy games, but this one is maybe the best one. It is cartoony. It is over-the-top violent. It is. It falls right into my, my 40K itch. It's um, 40K Dawn of War, the first one, with its numerous updates. This game has won countless awards. It's widely considered to be one of the best RTSs. Um, it is just, mwah, I love this game. I still play this game, no matter how outdated it is, because I love nothing more than getting just a blanket of Sisters of Battles with flamethrowers, firing flamethrowers at demons. And, um, yeah, I cannot, I mean, everybody knows this game. It's a ton of fun. Um, when this first game first came out, I had been itching for, like, a really nice, I think everyone had been itching for games workshop to incorporate their IP into video game format in some kind of playable way because everything prior to that to my knowledge just was not didn't have a real good hook to it and um, they took the Starcraft like model and just ran with it and you get your sea of guys and or if you're playing space marines you maybe specialize a bit and get like select guys and your dreadnoughts and you just drop pot them out and you kill heretics and it is so much fun Interestingly, and the Dawn of War, after that series ran with its different expansions, they updated it with Dawn of War 2. It wasn't nearly as successful. And I think part of the reason why is they took the mechanic, a lot of the mechanics from Company of Heroes, which was smaller squads, simpler, and with fields of fire, and they tried to amp up that realism a bit more as much as you can for a futuristic 40K universe. And it just, there's... It just was not nearly as fun, while a little bit more complicated. Um, yeah, they, but they're both good games. I, I endorse them both. Um, but Dawn of War, that's the one. All right. Now, Nick, your number two 
I almost put on my list, but again, I was I was focusing on real world military. But let's hear your number two. Uh, it's pretty basic, and I might get some gripes about it because it's not really strategic at all. But Halo, I mean, uh, it's yeah. There's a lot of games that we could say started the genre. There's a lot of games that you could say brought. I mean, basically, Halo dragged console gaming into the mainstream. Uh, I hate to say it. There's a lot of there was a lot of other contributions from a lot of other developers, d- developers and publishers, but it, it was Halo that really did it. I think um, to the point where nowadays, if you play video games, you're uh, you're not necessarily a huge nerd like when I was growing up. Um, it mm-hmm. it meets my. As I said, my main requirement, which is a great story. It's a fantastic story. Yeah. Uh, again, it's kind of a kind of a lost cause story. It's kind of a suicide mission story. This is, I mean, humanity's like rocked back on its heels. Kind of a last ditch, last gasp uh, attempt to win this war against this terrible, ravenous, extremely powerful alien uh, confederation, the Covenant, and. It, we, we just were looking for any anything to help us win the war and we stumble across this artifact that ends up being way more dangerous to everybody than uh, than just a mere weapon it's 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 not a weapon like we would think of it it's it's way worse um, and then all of the games that flow out of it uh, I particularly like ODST because it's way more stealth I really like reach because it's it's the ultimate suicide mission uh, story in, in that uh, mm-hmm. in that whole IP and you know I, I really li- it's one of the few games that I really like the multiplayer as well um, uh, it's it's I haven't seen a lot of games where the community online wants to play anything other than you know deathmatch essentially uh, but there's, there's it, with Halo though and unlike a lot of other games there's still a large section of the online community that will, that will regularly play games like Capture the Flag or, uh, you know, wh- whatever their version, whatever other versions of Oddball are, or, um, or we, you know, weird variants of games with, you know, ro- rockets on scooters, you know, I, I mean, it, there's just a lot of, a lot of cool things you can do to tweak with the game to make it fun and interesting and, and unique, and, um, and, and I, I really, I really like, too, that it's, approachable uh, for a novice gamer and there's not a lot of and this wouldn't even a few years ago this wouldn't have been a prerequisite for me but there's I don't I'm not aware that there's any profanity in it and the violence is pretty tame um, which is great because I can mm-hmm. now now my my oldest son is now old enough to play with me and I, I think in a way that in a similar way that a lot of people are really deep down in their soul pleased to introduce their kids to Star Wars I feel that same way about introducing my son to Halo you know um, yeah <laughs> I, we, are, we are we are currently playing through all of them we're now on Halo 4 he and I and uh, we're just having a blast playing it's so not not a whole lot of strategy involved um, but it's it's still still really fun just a blast to play I was going to say, I don't know if you can't say there isn't a lot of strategy involved in Halo. The amount of time, the amount of sheer man hours, I could have created to cure for cancer with the amount of time I spent <laughs> just research, just walking around levels in Halo and jumping from point A to point B to see if I could get there to get 
just in preemptory planning for future games I'm talking about like loading up a multiplayer map I'm thinking of the one specific I can't think of the name but I'm sure Nick will at least remember uh, Nick remember that that map in Halo 2 where you had the central area and you had the, the two things that would shoot you up but there's like four buildings connected by bridges yeah yeah it's been a, it's been a while since I played online I, I know what you're talking about though and and this is another great thing that Bungie does is they have fantastic levels they don't no, no two are the same they all have different strategies a lot of them are built to prevent camping oh. you know so it's it's fantastic absolutely I was a a master of that map man I could I could run in any given point I knew like if I jumped over the edge and normally jumping over the edge you just fall into the abyss and die but I knew the speed I had to go and where to jump and you could jump and it looked like you just gave up and jumped off so that it wouldn't get the kill but I would land on the the bridge way down there below and I oh man I spent a ton of time <laughs> practicing <laughs> that game um, yeah it I probably shouldn't admit that so was please, that one uh, was it foundation I, I forget i forget the name of the map i'm i'm not sure but i mean that was huge when i was in at least i saw what we did is play halo we would go from the bar from the motor pool on lunch break and play halo and they at the barracks in germany we had run cat five through the ceiling so at any given point in time you could get a local match full up with everybody in the barracks it was um we had Halo teams. We ah, uh, I could talk about Halo, literally all day. Yeah, no, me too. I I was uh, I was the maintenance officer for our battalion, uh, my first tour, and all of the lieutenants would uh, congregate in my my uh, my room in the motor pool. I lived in the motor pool, and uh, so they'd all come to my room and we'd play. Mm -hmm. And we told uh, we we all told our commanders and and the battalion leadership that it was a maintenance meeting <laughs> so uh so one so one night the battalion the one time the battalion xo came in because he couldn't get any of us on the phone and uh, he walked in on his plan and he said oh okay i see what you're doing this is this is your maintenance meeting i got you and to his credit he never said anything to any of our bosses about it so <laughs> it was called lockout, lockout oh yeah 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 that was a good one lockout lockout yeah yeah now, halo. To Great game. I I enjoyed Halo also. Um, little let down by the story in Halo Two, but not terribly so. Um, of interest to miniatures gamers, of course, were the Halo miniatures games that Spartan Games came out with, and namely they had a fleet action game with exquisite models, and then they had a a ground game using 15 millimeter tall figures. But unfortunately, Spartan had to close up shop last year, and oh. I believe those IPs reverted back to Microsoft in, was it 343? And uh, no, I don't think they've been picked up by anybody else. I've got the Halo Fleet action game, and I need to do something with the figures. I, I didn't actually play the game. I heard it was okay, but the, the models were were just great. Just really, really nicely done. And you got a ton of them for the for the money. So uh, if you can still find it, those sets are going for a little bit more than retail. They're not crazy expensive yet, but I suspect they will be before too long. My number two uh, isn't a video game per se, but it was facilita facilitated by computers. And that is a play-by-email diplomacy game I ran. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> this this play by email game has actually had a number of uh, number of former guests in it. Um, Justin Palmer, uh, Joel Franklin was no Joel Franklin wasn't. Yeah, he was actually. Joel Franklin was in it. Uh, my brother Chris was in it. Uh, four other folks um, that I've gamed with uh, off and on throughout the years was in it. And Diplomacy is indeed the game that ends friendships. And it is it is a beast unto itself. Uh, I, I could easily do an episode just on Diplomacy, and I probably will at some point. Uh but what I did to, to facilitate was I, I was the I was the GM. I processed all the orders and I would uh, update basically a situation map with uh, you know everybody's moves and, and all that. And it t- I, I want to say it took about two months to play out because we did one turn per week and uh, getting folks to turn their orders was sometimes a challenge, but, it's it's something I'd like to do again, and I definitely recommend it to anybody. Uh, if you are interested, I've I've got kind of a toolkit that I put together for it. Um, you know, email me at the regular at the at the regular way to to get that toolkit. But uh, if you really want to find out what someone's made of, throw diplomacy in front of them and and have them play that. It's just so perfectly balanced. And there's been so much written about it that it, just with a little bit of forethought and a little bit of study, it, it can be a really interesting afternoon if you play it live with folks. But it is, it's a great game. So you guys have any uh, experience with diplomacy? Not much. Uh, I played once or twice on a Facebook group and kind of fizzled out because I lost interest in it. But um. I would like, I wouldn't mind uh, getting in on a patented J. Arnold diplomacy game. I have been getting into, ever since your Gamer Weekend, I managed mm-hmm. to talk the shop up here and then get in a store copy, and I got a copy myself of, um, what is that game that we play? Junta? Junta, yep. Oh, and Junta's my jam, but on diplomacy, it's a lot of fun as well. Yeah, Junta has all of the backstabbing and treachery yeah. of diplomacy, but the humorous v- veneer that it has kind of softens yeah. the blow. I don't know. Uh, you shoot a guy in the back after after a, a successful coup, and he backed you the whole time, and he will um, he'll get a bad taste in his mouth. Well, one of the good things about Junta though is there's no player elimination. Yeah, true. So you can get your revenge. <laughs> so that brings us to our number ones and I'll I'll finish up the number ones with Call of Duty in particular the World at War uh, edition um, I had this title came out right when I was deploying to Afghanistan and I played a bunch of it uh, you know there was so much of this going on and just just a solid solid game of course um, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare came out the year before so of course we played a lot of that but uh, the main thing that World at War brought to the uh, to the gaming sphere that is that in my opinion pretty much forever changed 
of comp computer and console gaming was Nazi zombies. And you gotta like shooting Nazis and you gotta like shooting zombies, right. so what's not to like, right? Yeah, hell yeah. And uh, in particular, the, the way we discovered it, because when it first came out, you had to go through the you had to go through the campaign before it even made itself available. And that was before any patches or DLC or anything like that became available. And of course, being in the you know the hinterlands of Western Afghanistan, it's not like we had internet access for this thing anyway. So, you know, my OIC and I were playing through the through the campaign, and we got through it and basking in the in the glory of the of the credits and whatnot. And then the credits in, and then all of a sudden, the screen goes black, and it's got that image of you know, opening eyelids, and you figure out you're next to a wrecked B-17, and there's that mist crawling across the ground, and then you see some shambling figures, and that one comes running at you, and all of a sudden, in red letters, big red letters, bam, Nazi zombies. <laughs> and that's a, pretty, that's a pretty good ending to a game. Yeah, so, and then that, when we discovered you could just keep going back to... Nazi zombies right off the main menus. It was on like Donkey Kong at that point. <laughs> so, yeah, totally good. great, totally exciting. A little bit scary the first time you play it. There's there's some chances for some jump scares also when you're playing as well. So, just tons of fun. Oh yeah. As a first person shooter, by the way. Yeah. That is a first-person shooter, yes. In, in, ca in case you're completely and totally unaware of what Call of Duty is, it is a first-person shooter. <laughs> hey, man, I'm just I'm looking out for your listeners. Hey, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Maybe I maybe I assume too much, but that's why I'm super guest emeritus. That's it. That's, that's right, <laughs> Esquire. Mm. <laughs> Dave, but number one, me, and this is the best game franchise of game franchises. Top number one. On top of the the pyramid, there will never be a better series of games than these games, and these are the Total War games. I wanted, I very much wanted to just throw all of them in there, but then I remembered that really bad game, Spartan Total Warrior, War, which was just a not a good game. But you, I, I know y'all are familiar with this, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh yeah. For your listeners that are not. I don't know how to classify this game. It's not real-time strategy. But the basic premise is you get a map of whatever area this game is about in medieval. It's um, medieval Europe, North Africa. Um, in medieval and Total War Rome, it's pretty much the same area. <laughs> and uh, Shogun is Japan. And in Empire, it is Europe, India, North America and like some parts in the Middle East. And that's there's one, a, one, there's Warhammer one segment version of the game also. is a big version of, I don't know, Civ? No, um, Victoria. Basically managing resources, moving stuff around, the big map with some diplomacy involved. But the real kicker of this game is what made it, what made me fall in love with it is after you build your troops and you invade Germany, it'll switch over and it's basically another game and it is a real-time battle simulator where you with blocks of troops that individually move ahead and fight other blocks of troops it is 
I don't know of another game it like it. It combines, as I recall, I only played a couple of them. It combines RTS, or not even RTS, like almost, uh, well, yeah, resource management essentially. But yeah, the, then when you get on the ground, it's it turns into real time tactical, I guess. Yeah, but it just, yeah. Battle, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a real time battlefield command. And it could be massive. I don't want to say simulator, but. So it, it's kind of two genres in one. Yeah. yeah, it's absolutely phenomenal. I played medieval. I played Total War Medieval Two last night. Like <laughs> this series, absolutely has its hooks in me. I mean, I I will continue playing them pretty much forever. Um, my only problem with these games is the more they come out, the better computer I got to get to run the damn things. Um, and they actually have, they've got licensing to do. Um, and they've made it already. Do. The fantasy Warhammer games in this style. Yeah, yeah. Which I also Absolutely. cannot play because my computer can't run. <laughs> but that's that's the problem you get into when you, you get into these games. Yeah. All yeah, right. Good games. Nick, you're number one. I know you wrote an article on uh, on it, and I'll have the link to the article in the show notes for sure. Okay. But. Uh, Elucidate, if you would. So the Brothers in Arms series is really, really good. It's not as well known as Medal of Honor or Call of Duty, but uh, still, I think fantastic. Really solid entry in the World War II panoply uh, of games. I, of course, uh, gravitate to a fantastic story, and this storyline is fantastic. Um, now, it should be noted, this is Gearbox software, and a lot of these uh, characters are based on real people, although you know a lot of them don't have the same name. And the terrain, uh, the battles that were fought are exquisitely researched. Um, a lot of it is extremely true to, to what really happened uh, there on the ground. The story is uh, a squad uh, uh, led by Sergeant Matt Baker, in World War II, and the game goes from uh, D-Day, and uh, there's several games in the series, but you go through uh, Bastogne um, and, and further out than that. Um, and Sergeant Baker has uh, a squad that he leads through a lot of the major battles of the war. What's interesting to me, uh, from a weirdo mystical standpoint, uh, the guy who likes fantasy as well, is before he left for Europe, his father gave him a nickel-plated uh, 1911, uh, a 45 that he carries with him, and kind of, kind of one of the recurring storyline gimmicks of the game is everybody he lends it to in combat ends up dying. So he, it's to the point in my, my favorite game of the series. It's to the point in Hell's Highway where he he was refusing to lend the gun out to anybody anymore because he feels he feels guilty because he. Every time he lends it to a buddy, his buddy gets killed. So, um, uh, and, and some a lot of characters appear in the games that were that that, were, that are real that they didn't rename. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Robert Cole, uh, who earned the Medal of Honor, um, uh, SLA Marshall, the famous Army historian, at one point makes an appearance. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, Robert Sink, uh, who was played by Dale Dye in Band of Brothers, and uh, uh -huh. uh, uh, Matt Baker himself is based on um, Sergeant Harrison Summers, 
who was a, a DSC earner. Um, and, and I really like too, at, at the end of the game, you can go through and you can see shots of gameplay and it shows, you know, hey, we were in this square fighting off Germans in these two buildings, or we were in this field and there were dikes on this side and hedgerows on this side. But then they show you historical pictures of the real battle sites, and they get these things down to the to the nitinoid detail. So it's it's extremely realistic, which I really like. Um, but the article that I wrote was for a site called Off Duty Gamers. I wrote for them for a couple of years, and it was about how how to use video games as training aids. Um, and this game, more than any other I've ever played, does it really well. Uh, from the very beginning, you're taught that you are not, you, can, you absolutely cannot run and gun. Um, you're, not, you're not Rambo, you're a member of a team, and if you try and go it alone, not only are you gonna get killed, you, you're probably gonna get your soldiers killed. Um, so it forces you to Divide your team into fire team and assault team. Um, when you have when you have tanks with you attached to you, you you can, you use them just the same to support you. And if there's an anti-tank weapon, you you have to knock that out before they can move up. Uh, and there's, um, I mean, when I came up, there were nine basic battle drills. So I don't know what they're teaching in basic nowadays, but except for maybe react to chemical attack and maybe one or two others. I think this game is pretty good at teaching all of those. You uh, you are you are forced to learn how to suppress before you move, and to to mm -hmm. plot out your to plot out even if you don't know where the enemy are to to plot out your movement through uh, through the mission because you you get uh, aerial photography of the area and you get uh, maps that were provided by you know Pathfinder or re other reconnaissance elements. So you you plan your route as well. I just the article yeah. was written uh, and it was about how you could use that not by itself obviously but to supplement right. training for you know young soldiers who were just not getting uh the basic battle drills and i was kind of uh, selfishly pleased uh after the article was published to uh I, I got a note from somebody who actually worked at gearbox and i guess uh one of them had forwarded around on their internal uh, email servers and uh, everybody everybody there got a kick out of it so that was really nice cool well, very neat. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to check that game out exactly for the reasons you, you specify. Um, I'll, I'll look into that, though. I'll, I'll look into that. Now comes our time for our honorable mentions. That brings us to honorable mentions. Nick, being your first time, why don't you lead off with, the, with honorable mentions? Sure, happy to do so. So, uh, obviously, Close Combat was in my, uh, in my list, but I, I took that off for you, uh, so we wouldn't double-tap that. We talked about flight simulators a little bit. I I really got into Wing Commander. Uh, I just I love every second of every game of those that I played. Even the uh, what what uh, what a lot of people regard as the, the worst entries in the series, the uh, the add-ons for Wing Commander Two. I, I love those as well. I just I love all of them. I, I kind of hated the movie, uh, honestly. It was terrible, but uh, <laughs> but the games were great. And I we we talked earlier about yeah. you know uh, flight simulators. I, I I have respect for those guys who can sit there for four hours and do a flight simulator of a 747 from you know Phoenix to Miami. I got it, but that's not me. I just want to sit down and blast on some fools, you know. Um, and Wing yeah. Commander it, it was not just I thought a good storyline, but uh, really really rich gameplay. Um, 
Okay. Agreed. I, I got kind of an obscure game, but I really got into North and South for original Nintendo. NES? You talk, we're talking about NES games now? Yeah. Yeah, why not? Okay. I didn't know that NES made a Civil War game. Yeah, so it's called North and South, and uh, it's... It, honestly, looking back at it, not that great, but uh, I really liked... <laughs> I, I really liked the opportunity to play either side, and I really liked the uh, there's a there's a little mini game where you can hijack trains uh, that that I really liked. My first tour, I got really briefly, I got really intensely into Alpha Centauri, and mm -hmm. those of you who are into Civilization or, or those type of games, you you probably know what I'm talking about. It's essentially Civilization, but on a, on another planet. I just I loved it. I played it nonstop my first tour. Um, there was a there was a Macintosh game called uh, Avara from the '90s that I really liked. Is kind of a an extremely simplistic Mech Warrior style game. I really liked it because it was uh, shareware. It was absolutely free, which I was like 14 at the time, so that was a selling point for me. And uh, and it was extremely low system requirements. You could play that with anything, even if you had a piece of crap computer, so I really liked it. Yeah. Um, released by Ambrosia Studios that also did Escape Velocity, one of my other uh, favorite old school games. Uh, I really got into Syndicate uh, when I was uh, younger. Um, that was, I think, a Bullfrog Studios release. Uh, Bullfrog is now defunct, but... Um, I really liked the. It, it wasn't war per se. It was it was corporate warfare. Uh, you yeah. yeah you you develop these super soldiers and give them implants and and nanotechnology and cyber limbs and whatnot and then you send them in to either extract an enemy you know enemy corporations scientists or steal an R and D product or or just murder their whole R and D team you know or or whatever I, I just. I, I really got a kick out of it, and uh, it was very bloody and, and violent, and uh, I, just, I really liked it. I think, I think some studio tried to do a, a reboot, and it just fizzled completely. It, it, it didn't do well at all. Um, so that, that's, a, that's an old nostalgic favorite of mine. Mm -hmm. Lastly, I, I put America's Army, and... Everybody at, at this point would throw lettuce at the stage if this were a, a road show, but I, <laughs> I, I, I so you you remember it was a recruiting tool for yeah. for the army, and what it was was you got to simulate you know a few things from basic, not having to scrub the barracks floor with your toothbrush, but you know you, the rifle range and uh, the tower week at at Benning, um, a few other things, some some medic training. And then you got to play multiplayer maps. Um, and I liked it because it encouraged a little more than your average game. It encouraged you to actually use teamwork and, and, a, and a strategy. Uh, but I really put it just because I loved... Uh, for some reason, I was on fire as a the, the spotter pair of a sniper-spotter duo in that game. Every time I... I don't know what it was. Every time I was the spotter, uh, we, we won, hands down. So, apparently I'm a great sniper spotter. Mr. Collin, bro. <laughs> Excellent. Dave, how about your honorable, honorable mentions? mentions? I got a deep cut to begin with. I guess along the lines of Nick's NES game, North and South. Um, not Duck Hunt, but 
3D battle chest. Boom, boom. Old school, like, three and a half inch floppy game. No. Awesome. I guess it's a little bit smaller than that. Your regular floppy game. This is a chess game that you played, but the chess pieces would get up and move. And if they took somebody, they would fight, and the, whoever took the piece would kill the other person. I particularly loved when the rook took the king, he would just, because the, the rook would transform into a giant rock monster. He would walk over to the king, pick him up by his feet, and then eat him. And uh, I got <laughs> I got so much fun out of that game. Um, you can't really play chess on it because it takes too long for little people to move around. But um, a lot of fun. Um, next is a deep cut. Um, less of a deep cut. More of a, a classics callback in the line of Wolfenstein. I'm kind of going fast because I've got one kid eating a banana and another kid with a bottle. And eventually this food will go away. So bear with me. <laughs> um, Doom is my next one. I remember I played that when my dad got that game, and he was like, "Check out how cool this game is, son!" And I was like, "That's a cool game." And uh, I played Doom a lot, and I, I did not thinking back. It's weird that I didn't think it was odd that you couldn't look up in that game. Now, going back to play, it's it's very dis. It's very hard to play because, again, if you're aiming at something on some stairs, you just aim normally and it shoots up if you would have hit them. It's, um, it's a weird game. And now I've got a kid with a banana. Hey, bud. You're going to play Doom too, right? Mommy. Mommy's not here. Um, past that, i got to hurry. Um, this is a callback just for you, Nick. Mudding. Multi-user dungeons. Awesome. <laughs> Completely text-based online role-playing game. Something that the young guys don't know anything about. Don't eat that. Okay, I gotta go. Bye. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> well, real life happens for sure, and I, I just got a gentle reminder from she who must be obeyed that uh, I've got to go soon. Yeah, also. absolutely. Uh, my honorable mentions. My honorable, honorable mentions. Rainbow Six. Speaking of Tom Clancy games, Rainbow Six was more realistic than uh, Call of Duty until you realize you end up memorizing enemy dispositions and their movement patterns to get through the scenarios. So, realistic to a point, for sure. And then my, fi my final honorable mention is an arcade game, Operation Wolf. It's a arcade shooter, side-scrolling shooter kind of thing. And you had an Uzi, and you could shoot Molotov cocktails out of the sky and grenades. And totally fun. Uh, the Uzi had a recoil function to it, so it was super realistic, of course. And you had a little button on the side so you could throw grenades with it. So, all all kinds of great fun to be had uh, on the on the video game aspect. I I suspect we'll be getting back to this at some point. Uh, I'd like to touch on it again because there's some things that we forgot to mention, but. Uh, with that, Dave, thank you very much again. Superhost, Emeritus, Esquire, and Nick, hope to have you on again in the in the future. Uh, great to have you on. It was great to on. be here. Thank you. As always, if the wargaming you're having isn't any fun, you make it fun. That is all. The Veteran Wargamer Copyright, Jay Arnold, 2018 sure to leave a positive review on iTunes. If you'd like to join the discussion, head to the blog at theveteranwargamer.blogspot.com. Music courtesy of binsound.com.